I want to tell you the story of the most important week in the history of the world. Not the the whole story. We won't have time for that. I'll have to leave a few things out. But we'll talk about as much as we can. Tensions were running high. Jesus and his movement of disciples and followers was growing, and the local political and religious leadership wondered if he was a threat. The big festival of Passover was coming up, and everyone wondered, would Jesus be there, and what would happen when the crowds that loved Jesus would beat the crowds that weren't so sure? And the weak This most important week in the history of the world, it started in a big way. Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany. These were two small towns outside of Jerusalem. At the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying to them, Go to the village ahead, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. And so they did just what he said. They found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner asked, just as he said, why are you untying it? And they replied, just as he told them, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went... People spread their cloaks on the road for the colt to walk across. We look at this scene and we wonder, what is he doing? What are they doing? Putting their clothes on the ground for a donkey to walk across? But they weren't wondering. They knew what he was doing. They knew uh, the prophecy of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They knew what he was doing. Jesus knew what he was doing. This is one of the things you need to know about the most important week in the history of the world is that Jesus knew what he was doing. He was doing it for a purpose and he was doing it on purpose. And the whole week starts when he rides a donkey into Jerusalem. This was no accident. This was a staged political statement so that he was as clear as he could be and it was perfectly clear to everyone watching it was clear to jesus it was clear to his disciples it was clear to the crowds when he came to the place where the road turns down toward jerusalem The whole crowd went crazy. They began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This was clear. 
clear to the crowds, clear to the disciples, Jesus was claiming to be the one who would fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. Jesus was claiming to be the king of all kings, the promised Messiah, and it was clear to Jesus' enemies as well. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. As if to say, don't you know what they're saying? They're saying you're the Messiah. Tell them to be quiet. Tell them this is blasphemy. And Jesus says, listen, I'll tell you what. The time for clarity has come. If my disciples were to be quiet, the stones would cry out. It's time for people to know who I am. Jesus started the week with clarity, and this clarity did not make him any friends among the Pharisees. But it was the clarity of the second day of the most important week in the history of the world that sealed his fate. He entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this. And they were suddenly seeking a way to destroy him because they feared him. And the crowd was astonished at his teaching. It can be hard to explain the significance of this second day of the most important week in world history. The modern reader can barely understand what was happening here. But don't be confused. Jesus didn't walk into the temple one day and lose his temper. He isn't having a, a tantrum. It's not because he got so angry he couldn't stand it. This is a deliberate, intentional disruption of the work in the temple. Those who had something to sell couldn't sell it. What was that they had to sell? Well, it was the sacrifices. Those who wanted to buy something couldn't buy it. What was that they wanted to buy? It was that which they could sacrifice. Those who exchanged money couldn't change it. What was the money they changed? That was the offerings for the temple. No one could even carry anything. What would they be carrying? Their gifts. Their sacrifices. Jesus shuts down the temple. And then he preaches a sermon. And the sermon he preaches... He quotes Isaiah 56 about what the temple was supposed to be. And then he quotes Jeremiah 7. The worst sermon in Jewish history when Jeremiah prophesied that God's people would be condemned. The temple would be destroyed. They would be carted off into exile. And Jeremiah was right. 
when Jeremiah preached that sermon, they tried to kill him. And when Jesus preached it all those years later, they thought it was time to do the same thing. Jesus shuts down the temple, says the temple is no longer fruitful. He says the temple will be destroyed. And when he said the temple should be destroyed, the Pharisees and the keepers of the law got together and they decided he should be destroyed. The next two days of this most important week in world history, the next two days, the tensions built and preparations were made. Jesus and his disciples preparing to celebrate the Passover and the Pharisees and the rulers of the day preparing to kill Jesus. And all the while in the midst of these preparations, the tensions built. Jesus stayed in public teaching. The crowd gave him safety, but it also divided the city into those who loved this new message and those who despised it. He taught them saying, a man planted a vineyard. He rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent a third, but they wounded him and threw it out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I'll send my son whom I love. Perhaps they'll treat him with respect. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He'll come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said, God forbid. For they knew what Jesus meant. Jesus looked at them directly and said, Then you tell me what is the meaning of that which is written. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests, they looked for a way to arrest him immediately. Because they knew that this parable was spoken against them. But they were afraid of the people. In public, the crowds were divided. To try to arrest Jesus there would be chaos if it was even possible. So they waited. And they schemed. Now... The festival of the unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. And then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve 
And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers, the temple guard, to discuss how he might betray Jesus. I wonder what happened to Judas. Was it too much when Jesus rode in claiming to be the Messiah? Was it too far when Jesus overturned the tables of the temple, shut down the sacrificial system, declared the temple to be a fruitless vessel that must be replaced? Was it the chaos of the crowds? Either way, the offer Judas made was enough. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. And he consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Jesus, he, he tried to explain to his disciples what was happening, what would happen so that they would understand. He, he waited uh, until the hour came uh, for Jesus and his apostles to celebrate Passover. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. He said, take this and divide it among you, for I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread. He gave thanks, and he broke it. And then he gave it to them, and he said, this... This that is broken and ripped into pieces and given to you, this is me. This is my body. Broken in pieces. Ripped. Given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then just like that, after supper, he, he took the cup and he said, this cup, this is a new promise, a new covenant. And he poured the wine, but he called it blood. This cup is a new covenant in, in my blood and my blood is going to be poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me, is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. There was so much, see, that he wanted them to understand about what was about to happen, and, and he thought maybe they could understand if he tried to explain it to them at the Passover meal. 
Because they knew the Passover meal. It was the the remembrance of the story of how God had said to to sacrifice the lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the door of the house and those houses that were covered by the blood would be spared the judgment of God. He thought, surely they'll understand at the Passover meal why I suffer. That it's now my blood that covers those who are being saved. It's now my body that is broken. He needed them to know that the the most important week in the history of the world was happening around them and that he was doing it on purpose and that he was doing it for a purpose. He needed them to know that he would suffer and his suffering would be for their sake. He needed them to know that this was by his choice, by his hand, by his power. That some would betray him and some would deny him, but he would be faithful. And after the meal, the disciples were divided. Most still following Jesus, though not quite knowing where he was going. But one slipped off in the night to betray him. They were headed to the garden to pray. There would be no crowds on this night. The crowds were at home celebrating Passover with friends and family. This was the opportunity they'd waited for all week. Jesus, and those still with him, went to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, stay here while I pray. Peter, James, and John followed a little farther, and they began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and fell to the ground and stayed where he was and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And then, after he'd prayed that prayer, For an hour. He went back and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Am I that alone? But they they couldn't. They couldn't, even 
stay faithful with him for an hour. And they wouldn't need to watch much longer, for soon the test would come, the test of Jesus' commitment to do the will of his Father and not his own will. For Judas returned. The scribes and the Pharisees had their moment. They found their courage and their armies there in the dark of night, and they came for Jesus. For this moment, Jesus' disciples were finally ready ready to defend him, ready to fight back for their king. What they weren't ready for was Jesus calling them off, healing the injured. Jesus who knew that the time had come to do his Father's will. This is what he had tried to prepare them for. When they sat around the Passover table, he had tried to prepare them for the fact that his time of suffering was coming, that he was suffering on purpose, that he was suffering for a purpose, that this was the most important week in the history of the world, and Jesus would see it through. And he was arrested, and the pace of the week quickened. The trial could not even wait for the light of day, for then the crowds might re-emerge. Instead, there in the dead of night, Jesus faced false accusations, for no true accusations could be leveled against him. But it did not matter. The outcome of this trial had been determined on the second day of the week. On day one, he claimed to be king. On day two, he had said the time of the temple was over and his fate was sealed. He must be destroyed. Peter watched it happen. And though the crowds weren't large, there was just enough of a crowd that Peter buckled, crumbled under the pressure of the crowd and denied Jesus, denied following him, denied even knowing him. Peter, in anticipation of us, And every time we have denied the name of Christ and the way of Christ to appease the crowds around us. But inside the trial, the council did their work and sent Jesus to Pilate, the Roman ruler, for only he could send a man to a cross. Pilate was confused. He could see no crime in him. Oh, but by now the people could see the crime. He claimed to be the Messiah. He had promised to replace the temple. 
Pilate wanted to release Jesus. And so he appealed to the crowd to see reason. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Three times he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I can't find any reason to put him to death. Let me just punish him and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Now Jesus was in the hands of the Roman soldiers. They took him to the praetorium and gathered around him the whole company of soldiers. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They had seen him ride into the city. They knew the claims he made on the first day of the very same week. So they twisted together a crown of thorns and pressed it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. That's who you said you were, right? They spit on him. Took the staff, struck him on the head again and again. And after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe. Put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Just a few days left in our week. And here we are on a hill outside the city, the place where the Roman soldiers did their worst work the place of the cross, the engine of horror, the ongoing testimony to the human ability to cruelty. It was mid-morning, the third hour of the day, when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. A claim that was either treason or true. With him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, "Ah, You, you said you were going to destroy the temple. Remember that? It was just two days before yesterday said you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Now try and even save yourself. Come down from the cross. The chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another. You remember how nervous we were when we rewrote it on the donkey? Remember that just four days ago? Remember how nervous we were about the thing with the donkey? (laughs) He saved others. Can't save himself. If he really was the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. We'll believe this time. 
You see, they still didn't understand. Nobody really did. They thought this death demonstrated Jesus' weakness. What else could they think? Only Jesus knew that this death was necessary for the coming demonstration of his power. I can hardly fault them, though. We do this all the time, don't we? We see suffering and evil in our world and assume that God must have lost control or otherwise he would protect us from the suffering and the evil, whereas God instead says, my power is made perfect in weakness, my glory is demonstrated when I lead you through suffering to hope. And then, oh, and then, And he died. Uh, it, it was noon. Uh, darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. You couldn't even see the sun. The curtain of the temple that divided uh, the people from God um, ripped in half. And Jesus called out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said that, and then he breathed for the last time. The, the centurion, he was the man in charge of the whole operation. He'd watched the whole thing. Suddenly, he praised God. He said, this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts. They went away. But those who really knew him, including the women who'd come all the way from Galilee, for what they thought was going to be the most important week in world history. They stood there and they just watched. We can never forget this story. Most important week in the history of the world. Honestly, though, I'm I'm not actually very worried we will forget this story because we make sure we remember it every single week. Um, that's what Jesus said. Remember at the meal when he was trying to explain? The meal was the place he tried to explain to them what was happening. And he just said, you just have to keep eating this meal and keep telling this story. We're going to share in that meal together right now. If you're worshiping online, grab whatever you need to. If you're here in the room, um, maybe you've got stuff on the way in. If you need to go back and get it, you can do that. We've got people, got ushers moving around if you need communion elements. Remember what he said? He said, this bread, it's broken, ripped up, given out. That's 
my body, this cup, it's, it's my blood poured out for new promises. Let me pray for you, and then we'll share in this meal together. God, lead us back to this same old story. Lead us back to your cross. Lead us back to the table where you said you were bringing new promises of salvation for all people. We meet you now in remembrance around the table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there was a man named Joseph. He was a member of the council, which means he'd been there for everything. He'd been there for the whole week. A good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from a Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. He took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was the preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it, and then they went home and prepared the spices and perfumes needed for a proper burial. But the next day, they rested. It was the Sabbath, and they were obedient to the commandment. It's the second to last day of the story of the most important week 
eight days, really, in the history of the world. And all they could do was wait. There is one more day that you need to know about. One more day in this most important week plus one day in the history of the world. And I really want to tell you about it now. It's a great day. It's sort of the day that makes all the other days greater than you even thought they were. But if you want to hear about that day, you're going to have to come back next week and maybe bring somebody. Because what happens on, on that day, the eighth day of the best week in the history of the world, the first day of every week thereafter, what happens that day? It makes the whole rest of all the other days make sense. In fact, the, the coming week of our life, this, the week that we're in right now, is actually designed to prepare us for that day. I hope you'll take it seriously. I hope you come back tonight. Um, we got a, a choir concert here tonight. It's the, the music of Fanny Crosby. And if you don't know her name, I promise you know her music. It's going to sort of start the week off. It'll be right here, 6.30. Come back. It's going to be great. And then later in this week, schedule some time for the Journey to the Cross prayer experience. You'll get to pray through the very week I just told you about. Um, it starts Wednesday. It's Wednesday, it's in the afternoon, 3 to 7. And Thursday and Friday, it's open all day. And then Saturday morning from 9 to 12. It's, just, it's a, a self-paced experience. You just come. You kind of go through it at your own uh, pace and pray and read Scripture. It sort of happens at that end of the building. You want to come do that to, so that you're ready because then next weekend, we get to talk about the, the one day we haven't talked about yet. Uh, it starts Saturday at, at 5 p.m. Uh, so a lot of you will want to come to that service so that we've got plenty of room on Sunday at our regular service times. I hope you're bringing somebody. I'm telling you, this week, we just talked about it. It's the most important week in the history of the world. And Jesus wants everyone to know what happened. So, right now, we kind of leave the story, and Jesus is dead, and the tomb is full, but next week, we come back, and I'll just spoil the surprise, the tomb, the tomb is going to be empty, Okay. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to send you out right now. Amen. God, we thank you for Jesus, who declared that he was the Messiah King, who declared that he would replace the temple, and we can now approach you directly through his love, who did not shrink back from the will of his Father, but poured out his life poured out his blood, allowed his body to be broken, that we might be saved. We thank you for the memory of this week that changed the world. And God, we just can't wait till next week when we get to finish the story. We anticipate that together. Bless us, God. Send us forth with this story on our lips. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you, church. We love you. We'll see you next week.